A bill before the House would create a new cadre of people to help the government in case of a serious cyber attack. The National Digital Reserve Corps would be managed by the General Services Administration. For the details of how this would work, Federal News Network's Eric White spoke with Texas representative and a sponsor of the bill, Tony Gonzalez, who started with his own chops. First off, I am a retired Navy Master Chief. I spent 20 years in in the Navy as a naval cryptologist with a top-secret SCI clearance, spent five years in Iraq and Afghanistan, and so, to me, uh, information warfare, uh, technology, uh, the digital space is, is something that I consider my expertise. And when I came to Congress, this is something I very much uh, is important to me. Now, my district, District 23 in Texas, it stretches from San Antonio to El Paso. It's over 800 miles of the southern border. Places like Uvalde, Del Rio, Eagle Pass, El Paso are in the district. So a lot of my attention uh, gets put on the border. But to me, this, this digital reserve core is, a, is an important piece of legislation that gets ahead of a problem. And I'll give you an example. Last year in Texas, there was this huge winter storm that came through and everybody's power and water uh, was knocked out for about a week or so. It didn't matter the color of your skin, didn't matter how much money you had in your bank account, if you lived in a city, big city, or a small little town, everybody was without power. So I envision uh, that the next storm that comes through uh, won't be a winter storm, it'll be a cyber storm. And when that hits, how do we, you know, who turns the power back on? This uh, this piece of legislation gets to answering who, uh, who and how and, and gets us ahead of it. Gotcha. And so what kind of activities would you, well, you know, you mentioned the cyber storm. Uh, I imagine, you know, cyber attacks, of course, is on there. But what other sorts of uh, preventative measures do you think this Digital Reserve Corps could help with? Maybe not even preventative, just having a plan of action in place if something does occur. Yeah, in the digital space, you're seeing intrusions happen every single minute of every single day. And it's no longer, it used to be a time where, Cyber was predominantly in the national security and defense space, and now it's in everything, every, absolutely every aspect of life. It's in education and healthcare and 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 every every bit. I, I often say companies are IT companies first, and then they do other stuff. Then they you know sell oil or they make widgets or they teach or or whatever it may be. And we're seeing, it's not a matter of of if it happens, it's a matter of when something major happens. You've seen it with the Colonial Pipeline, Uh, you've seen it with these intrusions on schools and healthcare providers and water infrastructure. So it's happening every single day. The key to me is what are we going to do about it when a major intrusion happens? And well, so in particular, this bill federalizes IT professionals for a a short period, let's say 60 days. What does that mean? Okay, so I live in San Antonio. Let's say the city of San Antonio gets wiped out. Nobody has power or water because of a cyber uh, attack. Well, who turns that back on? And part of it is every one of these major companies, even small companies, has an IT infrastructure. What this bill does, it allows these people to serve in a, these IT professionals, to serve in a federal capacity for a limited amount of time. So let's say, you know, you, you love your country, you want to help turn the lights back on, but you don't want to join the Marines, right? Well, this is an avenue where you can help your country get the lights back on uh, when, uh, when a major intrusion happens. 
As someone, as you mentioned, who had a top secret security clearance, you know, looking at this from a policy standpoint, that seems like one of the major hurdles is going to be able to keep a reserve corps that is able to maintain that security clearance. And even when they're not on duty, what do you foresee as a, a mechanism for uh, improving that process to, to enable this? Yeah, one of the benefits is, 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 is I'm a firm believer in creating an ecosystem that that allows for you to tackle some of these problems and to me that ecosystem is government it's industry and it's academia when you get those three those three areas in a room good things happen so in this case industry would be the ones that would have the professionals would be would have the workforce and i vision i envision government as the one that the the avenue that could one help with security clearances so that's an avenue that I think would make it enticing for people to be part of the DigiCore, uh, help with security clearances. The other is help with continuous training. And so, you know, I, and once again, I spent a lot of time in the military. I retired from the military. You train the way you fight, you fight the way you train. We can have this major cyber intrusion happen and then let that be the time in which we react. We got to get ahead of it. So it, it just starts to get, just start getting us down a path of, collaboration and thinking of how we're going to react when something like this occurs. This has been an idea that's been around before. Former Texas Representative Will Hurd, who I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, brought on a similar idea years ago and kept on trying to push it before he left Congress. Uh, what's different this time around that you think there'll be more momentum? And, you know, I was really excited last year. Oh, I mean, it's very bipartisan. Uh, you know, I've, I, I've uh, focused on, you know, real tangible solutions uh, politics right now is very is very divided and contentious, uh, but cyber and getting ahead of a, a cyber intrusion is something I think that brings us together. So last year uh, we introduced this and it actually got passed in the House. There were over 800 amendments to the uh, the NDA, the National Defense Authorization Act. This this piece of legislation, the National Digital Reserve Corps, had the second most amount of co-sponsors. So it's a you know it's not as if there's just one or two members you know that that have signed on. I mean it's been dozens, and so it was incredible. Now it went over to the Senate and it kind of died, and the White House had some issues with kind of who was going to control the program. But I'm very optimistic this year that we can work through all that and we can ultimately get it over the finish line and signed into law. I'll just say one last thing: is last year there were around a hundred pieces of legislation from the House that got signed into law out of 10,000, you know, and one of those pieces of legislation was mine. I'm very proud of that. So uh, the way I look at it, if I can pass a piece of legislation in the minority, uh, I, I feel good about passing uh, legislation in the majority. And yeah, just finishing up here, can you just tell me about the landscape of why something like this would be important? What do you foresee as the future in digital warfare as an expert in that area? Yeah, we're already there. I mean, the the, the future is now, and and any I mean, we're getting we're getting tidbits of it uh, throughout the country. It's not just one part. And, and I'll go back to the Colonial Pipeline just because that that seems to be uh, fairly fairly new or, or fairly recent, and and it impacted a lot of lives. You know, if you have one piece of uh, of infrastructure that gets that gets shut down, it all comes down. And once again, if you lived in Texas. If you lived in Texas, you will never forget the winter storm last year. I mean, everybody will remember that. So I think this is something that, like I said, we're not, uh, this is a problem that's already here. What are we going to do about it when it, when it gets larger? So um, uh, I'm excited about continuing to work, uh, you know, with my colleagues here in the House, 
continuing to work with my colleagues in the Senate to get it through the finish line, and then ultimately with the White House so we can get this signed into law. But very excited about the National Digital Reserve Corps and, and look forward to continuing to include industry in it as well. You know, industry needs to have a seat at the table and academia as well. I'll just say, like, I'm a cryptologist, and uh, there are there is one cryptologist in Congress. So a lot of people want to have uh, cyber bills. Uh, sometimes you can cause more harm than good with a bill. We've really tried to think this through to, to make it a win-win for everybody. Texas Republican Tony Gonzalez is a member of the House Appropriations Committee. We'll post this interview along with a link to the bill at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get dash involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I uh, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of of people with intellectual disabilities and 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 physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I I knew that I knew that work a bit. You know, they ba- they basically were in d- direct care, and and I will say, you know, and I obviously will say about my my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the the men and women that do take care of people with uh, pr- profound disabilities are are really, um, you know, we we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're they're really heroes, and um, so I was I was drawn when I I and I just saw that you know Special Olympics was looking for someone, and I thought well you know take a look at it and see, see you know throw uh, send in my information, and lo and behold I I, I get hired, and um, I learn uh, every day almost something from especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries, uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has, a, has a good story, like, it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, so often when you'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. 
Um, and but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit uh, from a- the athletes of Special Olympics that uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more, uh, we get more than we give. Uh, working with Special Olympics, it, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That that you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so uh, joyful and and uh, I mean, we work hard and you know, we we're up against you know the things that nonprofits are up against and you know the you know the issues of the day. But uh, man, you see, it, it, and 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 the inclusion and the at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Yeah. Everyone is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and uh, sexual orientation and whatnot. But you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics in experience the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved? Uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials, um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Triver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, it's not just school age. It's it's, uh, you know, we say nine to ninety nine or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest, 
people that you will meet and and uh and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is is how you'll learn it check us out uh you know uh, specialolympics.org on on our website uh that will link you to your local program you can follow through the the clicks of how to get involved and where what's closest to you you'll enjoy it i can promise you that well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll uh, talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.